James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. This is the half-brother of Jesus speaking. Same mother, different daddy. (laughs) My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? Let's pause right here. He's preaching to the first century poor people who are praising the rich people who are also the rich people persecuting Christ in their life. He's saying, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? And he's also trying to get the rich's attention because they're so caught up in their riches, they don't have any faith. We talked about that last week. Verse 6, but have you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? See? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into the court for following Jesus is what he's saying here. Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him, Jesus, to whom you belong, Jesus? If you really keep the royal law, that's from heaven, found in the scripture, then love your neighbor as yourself. You are, if you do that, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, I also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you commit murder, you have become still a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Let's say that again. You should speak and act, says James, as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. That's the word. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who is not merciful. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. My subject today is seeing beneath. Seeing beneath. Touch your neighbor, tell them, what you looking at? If you don't have a neighbor, just pretend. Touch the chair. Seeing beneath. Beneath, are you looking at what's on the surface or beneath? Most of these sermons are me preaching to me, and it just happens to hopefully help y'all too. It's just a, it's a self-preaching sermon a lot of times that, that I'm preaching here, especially when I get really fired up because I know me. So my question to all of us today is, have you ever found yourself judging someone or something inadvertently meaning you didn't mean to, it wasn't intentional, it just came to your mind really quickly. And you felt yourself drawn a conclusion before you even encountered the situation enough to really even know what was in front of you or who was in front of you. You saw them, you judged them, you draw a conclusion before you even had a chance to process what was in front of you. Has anybody ever done that? Are you breathing today? You've probably done it. James is speaking how we are all God's children, black or white, rich or poor, sick or whole. Our instinct to profile first often limits us to seeing the full beauty of those God is putting 
in our path, let that sink in. Our instinct to profile the person is prohibiting God from showing us the beauty of maybe someone's, thank you, air conditioner, that was delayed to go off. Drives me crazy. We're going to fix that soon. See how quiet it got? That's good. When we profile first, we draw a conclusion, and now we may have missed a really beautiful opportunity. Does that make sense? We find ourselves in an ethical dilemma. That's a fancy word for saying when you take a step back, all of a sudden you're going to reevaluate and go, hmm, I don't know if I'd really do it that way now that I thought about the moral aspect of this. That's the ethical dilemma. It's like now you're caught in, in having to deal with something because when you thought from a distance, it's fine, put them in jail, or they deserve that, but then you got to know them, and you got to know the situation was stickier than black and white. You said, I don't really know how I'd handle it because I love them too, or because of this or that. Make sense? That's an ethical dilemma. Amen, brother, sisters. If we step aside and look at the situation fully, that maybe our response would be different if we took a closer look. This message is not a justification of sin, but rather our ability to, as God's church, to love people as God loves them. We are to love no matter what, and that I can never change as God's first commandment to Love him with all our heart and all our soul. Because remember, church, to love God is to love his greatest creation, his people. If you say you love God but you don't love people, you don't love God. I'm just saying what the Bible says. Because <laughs> how could you not love what God loves if God created it? And you're one of the things you claim not to love, his creation, a human, a person. Love leads all sheep to Christ. It leads all all sheep to Christ. So the question for you today is, am I seeing beneath the thing that's causing me to profile, show favoritism to one status versus another? Am I seeing beneath? So let's talk about some favorites today. Let's talk about some favorites. Who's got something there? It's just their favorite. Come on, somebody. Help a preacher out. Who's got something that says, oh, that's my favorite? Debbie, what is it? Oh, bless your heart. My favorite, too, are cats. Love them. God bless them. <laughs> you must have known that about me. That's why it was funny. Who else got a favorite? Come on, somebody. Does somebody like cars or certain type of food? Go ahead, I'm, I'm your favorite preacher and uncle. Good. That's a good choice. Well, sorry, Sean. Sorry about that. We're split 50-50. Mega stuff. Good, good choice. You know, every year the Oreo gets fatter and they come out with another label. And I, I don't know if I'm delusional, but I think I saw one that surpassed the Mega just recently. What was it? Does anybody know what it's called? It's like Mega Mega? Double Mega? How about all icing and no cookie? That's what I think it's called. <laughs> now, that's a favorite in a good way. When, when you live, love Oreos, it's not because you have a problem with Chips Ahoy, like, like they did something wrong to you. Or like, I love the carbonated drinks that my family hates because they have no nothing in them. They're just carbon dioxide and water. And, and I like LaCroix, 
And I go through those things like, I go through at least six a day sometimes in combination with real water. But that type of favoritism is not what the Bible is talking about here. That kind of, that kind of favorite is a healthy favorite. It's good to have desires of things that please you. What, the, what James is speaking of here is the type of favorites that separate you from the others that should still be part of the conversation, that actually cause you to cast a judgment from a distance. Again, it's funny with cookies, but it's not like we're casting judgment on Chips Ahoy. We just like Oreos. But when someone walks in the room, like James says, and they've got a gold, they got gold on their finger and, and nice shiny whatever. We don't say robes. Nobody wears robes in 23. They got, they got sneakers on their feet from, you know, wherever, Jordans or whatever, and they're driving up on their doves or whatever. And then, and then the next guy rolls in, and we immediately draw a conclusion sometimes. Has anybody ever drawn a conclusion by profiling someone on the surface? Yeah, me too. Good, we're getting somewhere because if you've never done it, this can't help you. But last time I checked, if you're human, you've probably done it, so this can probably help you. What's your favorite? Your favorites drive the direction of where you attend church, of the people you hang out with, the types of social status you, you cling to. I had a friend as a kid. Sean, you remember Steve Leventhal, little karate guy? This kid was a black belt in the third grade, karate. I'll never forget it. In the sixth grade, I had a broken arm, and I got my cast off. And the day I got my cast off, he grabbed me on the parking lot, and he said, in the recess, does this hurt? And he torques my wrist that I just got the cast off. And I'm like, yes, it does. Yes, it does, little Stevie. And, uh, but he was my childhood friend. In fact, he was the same friend, Jen, who told me in the third grade, you never cuss. What's wrong with you? Bleep, bleep, bleep. The kid had the foulest mouth on the planet, nothing like me. I was the opposite of him. He was short and stocky, foul-mouthed karate. I was taller and chunky and had a clean mouth, and, and he liked eating cow tongue. He liked eating cow tongue. That was his favorite meal. That's gross, y'all. How many like cow tongue? me, <laughs> you and your cats, I should have known. <laughs> well, this is good, Debbie. We need to talk after church. Well, he liked cow tongue. I like shrimp cocktail. He was totally different than me. His family was totally different. He was Jewish. I was Christian. He didn't believe in Christmas. I said, Jesus is the way. He says, Jesus hasn't come yet. We were best friends through elementary school. See, I never let his, 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 uh, his preferences uh, change my ability to connect with him or to see him as a person. But some people will not, and I've done this in other situations, if they're too far off course and there's no common bond, you don't want to be around them. We call them weird. They're weird. They're weird. That means they're different from you. So a lot of times I think someone's weird if they're different from me. There goes that air conditioner again. Praise God, mighty rushing wind. Do we allow people that are different into our lives? How many allow different people? I'm putting you on the spot. Different types of people in your life that are not like you. They don't look like you. They don't smell like you. They don't make the same amount of money as you. They make more. They make less. They don't drive a car like you. They don't live like you. But you love them anyway because you don't care about that. That's, you know, God doesn't care about that either. But James is saying some of these people still care about that. And as you keep caring about that, that's the favoritism he's preaching against. Because you're prohibiting growth in somebody. This is good. How many have gone in, I was just talking to somebody the other day. 
And they said, in the church, I couldn't fit in because they all did the same type of thing together in their spare time. And I just never could connect with that. Amen? I could never connect with that. And so eventually it didn't work out because they have these spiritual social cliques. How many have been to a church where they never felt welcome? Or how many have been to a church where they, not this church, of course, we're the best on the planet, never would ever not feel welcome here at One Seed Church. How many have ever been to a place, though, and they're like, they didn't even say hi to me? Or, or like, they, they all felt too bougie for, for me and where I'm at. I felt like it was like being in high school again, but it was a church. Somebody felt that. Almost like, like you could hear them whispering about you in the church. That's a spiritual social click. It's good. I'll preach anywhere, anytime. Doesn't matter. It's good. It's good. I had another friend in high school. How many remember when you were cool in high school, if you're a guy and you're walking down the hall, you don't move. But somebody's going to move, right? How many remember the guys with the wings? How many guys know what I'm talking about who had wings? Mike, you probably had wings, didn't you? These are the guys who thought their lats were so big they couldn't put their arms down. So if you walk past them, you go into the wall. They're not moving. Well, I had this kid. I won't say what his initial was. You think it's some kind of joke, but the, his initials were BS. I don't mean in a, in a funny way, but it does sound funny because I can't say his real name. He may be watching. And um, BS, he, um, every time I see him in the ninth grade, he would walk down in his letter, letter jacket, leather sleeves, stitched on letter, and he'd walk straight, straight like this. And he knew I was there. And every time, I had to, like, do one of these against the wall to get by because he didn't budge. And every time, I'm like, I know you saw me. And also, he had wings, but he was, like, 130 pounds. I'm like, he's a toothpick, but yet he had the wings. I'm like, why can't he put his arms down? I don't know. He's just so, he's just so, his, his back is just phenomenal. He can't, can't put his arms down. He's got the wings. The wings are for bumping nerds like me into the wall. I was the type of nerd that was friends with everybody. I could have cool kid friends, and I could have really nerdy friends, like more nerdier than me. I was like, I was more like a dork. Is that cool? I was the dork. So dorks could be friends with nerds or the cool kids. But see, then BS, he, he, I got into wrestling, and he was on the wrestling team. And then a couple years later went by, and I grew like six inches. <laughs> and then we, he was still 130 pounds, and I was like 160 pounds, and, and, and then things were a little different. And now he like became my teammate. It didn't treat me like that no more. In fact, he was really cool, different guy. I'm like, is this the same kid? You see what happened there? When my status changed, now he associated with me different. Now, I think deep down it's because he got to know me better because we were on the team together. But the danger is from a distance he would have never got to know me unless he was forced to engage through a closer proximity through like a wrestling team which is pretty close. I mean, you got people sitting on your head. You get to know them pretty quick. You can breathe. Don't worry. I tell my sons, don't worry. You can breathe. I know you feel like you're suffocating. You can breathe. I had to tell Colton yesterday, Sean, that's choking. That's not legal. When I told Caleb to get him, Colton starts choking. My son's choking my other son. Is that okay as a pastor's kids? Is that normal? That's fresh on my mind. What I'm saying to y'all is if they're in our status or our realm of hobby or our world we immediately embrace, but if they don't fit that, we won't go near them. It's like the carp in the lake. I won't go near them. I don't want them. Give me a nice catfish or a nice white bass. Otherwise, I don't want to go near that fish. 
But what have they done to me, you know? The other fish, fish in the sea. We're all fishermen, you know. We're fishing for something. If you're not fishing, you need to get your pole out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Heard this a million times, but never start fishing. I've heard a preacher say he needs to be preaching, evangelizing, but I don't do nothing. I don't do nothing. I just hear it and go back to Monday. <laughs> James says, be a doer of the word. But having in common versus having the same God are two different things. If you only associate when you have in common, you're going to miss a lot of beauty of people you'll never meet. But when you look at people like having the same God, even the non-believers, did you know the atheists have a God? They're just not serving him yet. They even deny him. Sounds like most of the modern American world. They're no different. They deny Christ. They deny God being the only way, Jesus Christ being the only way, the truth, and the life. Yet, if we look at them like God's children, we will be like a Dan. We will start witnessing. Mike, you're, you're a Dan Jr. I can see you in 40 years, man. You're going to be walking around. Jesus loves you. Mike witnesses everywhere he goes. Christine, little Michael, they witnessed. Little Michael was getting the door today. They're witnessing through their behavior. That's act of faith James is speaking about. Little Michael's, what, five? He was holding the door today for, for visitors. Nobody asked him to do it. He desires to do it because he's demonstrating something. This is good right here. Is your goal with people to make them like you or make them like into the image of God that he created them to be? That's what you're doing. That's what I'm doing. When I want to find a friend, I want to pair them in the, in, the, in the way of things I like to do. I'm really trying to make them like me, but that's not scriptural. Scripturally, I need to show them the way in the image of God and let them become what God wants them to become. That's their image. I'm not trying to clone me. That'd be horrible. We tried to clone volunteers once. When we had a biologist working for, uh, volunteering at the church, we tried to clone some volunteers because we were shorthanded. And everybody did the same thing. It was really bad. Y'all, come on, y'all. It's Father's Day. We didn't clone nobody. DNA recombination. Damon texted me this morning, said, how I'm doing. How many remember Damon? All right. <laughs> Are you seeing beneath? This is about looking underneath that. Guess what color everybody's blood is? Unless you're a lizard. Might be true. Every human has got red blood. Guess what happens when you peel back the skin? It's all pink. It all looks the same. We all bleed red. There's a song about that, and that's why. Because when you see the people by the color of their blood and not by the color of their skin or the color of their pocketbook or the color of their car, you're going to see them as God sees them. Yeah, that's good preaching. Who said that? That's good. I'm going to watch that. That's good. I'm going to watch it later. That's good. If I got one thing, I got that one. That was good. But that's because it's true. This message is not just on discrimination against people. But when we act that way, we are only partially following the commandments of God. That's the reality of it, is that our behavior is a mirror of actually what we're obeying in the Scripture. So we forget that part, and we say, we shouldn't do this, and we shouldn't do that, and yeah, I know, if I do this, I'm a sinner. But really, we're not obeying God's word, and he says, if you've broken any of law, you've broken all of it. The living righteous is not to be partially fulfilled. 
to live in righteousness is not to be a sinner on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and be a saint on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and then maybe 50% on Sunday when you're at church. Like, that's not living in righteousness. That's living in denial. <laughs> that's what that is. God sees the same. He says in verse 8, if we could throw that up real quick, if you really keep the royal law found in the Scripture, you would love your neighbor as yourself. And in this, you are doing right. He calls that the royal law. So how can we love like that when we're distancing by status? I used to get homeless people coming up to me all the time in Nashville. Crazy stuff. And I never, I never, um, I'm not saying don't be wise because there's some crazy people out there. Sometimes they could have a gun. Sometimes they could have a knife. Sometimes they were legitimate. Sometimes they weren't. But I never turned them away. But I was always had my guard up. I'll never forget. Can I tell you a funny story one time about a guy who approached me in the pitch dark in Nashville? Can I tell you real quick? You guys got time for that? It was pitch dark. I was waiting for somebody on the side of a gas station in my car, and this man walked straight up to my window, and it was pitch dark. And I said, put your hands on the hood. I'm not joking. And he went. It was a reaction. I said, what, do you want some money? He said, yeah, yeah. And then I saw he just really wanted money, so then I gave him what I had. But it scared me so bad, I reacted. Because it's funny, but you don't know. So that kind of judgment is called discernment. That's a good thing. Doesn't mean don't be taken by anybody who acts like you're your, they're your best friend. But I still gave him a chance to be a human. And as soon as I saw he wasn't trying to threaten me, I said, hey, here's all I got. One time, one time I was leaving a restaurant, broke as a joke, waiting tables, and someone was yelling for money from me uh, about 50 feet away, and I threw a nickel at him. And I was so angry, and I said, that's all I got. I'm broke too. And I yelled that to him at like 11 o'clock at night, downtown Nashville. I am dead serious. I said, I'm broke too. And I threw it. And he's like, I think he caught it, Mike. He said, thank you. I'm like, you're welcome. There was no Jesus loves you back then. It was about me. But what I'm saying is in my intuition, I still knew people are still people, and God still created them. There, there's some people that I can't stand from my past, but I still know at the end of the day, God created them. Maybe they have a child. Maybe they're someone's dad today. Maybe, maybe they have a bad situation that because they annoyed me doesn't mean they were horrible. It's just because I didn't understand what they were going through. Does that make sense? So, so if we don't ever put down the, the shield of, of segment, in status division, in judgment, we'll never even see maybe the people that are really there sent by God to change your life. Some of the best people that will change your life are the ones you want to reject at first glance. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. It ain't the polished ones that come up and shake up your life in a good way. It's the broken ones, the hungry ones, the humble ones, and the authentic ones that do it. You'll be talking about them to your kids someday. Did God not love you before your success or your failure? Yes, he did. Those don't matter to him. Your failures don't matter to him. Your success doesn't matter to him. He don't need your bank account. He doesn't need your failures. He created you. It's like a dad. I would not stop loving my son because he tried to choke my other boy. Though I was mad, I'd never stop loving him. It doesn't affect my love, is what I'm saying. He's talking about mercy here at the end of the passage. 
Let's go to 13, or excuse me, Jan, let's go to 12 and 13. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. That's important to catch that. Speak and act as those who are willing to, going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, and mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy makes us whole. Mercy makes us whole. God is the judge, therefore, what measure do we judge? None. We're not the judge. We give it to God. It's okay to keep your distance through discernment, but doesn't mean I need to draw a conclusion. In fact, maybe I should think a little slower about my response. Remember, James says, slow to speak, quick to listen. See how it works together? The reason this is really important you catch this is because he says, if you speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, you're going to remember to be merciful because you remembered he set you free. Come on, somebody. We can be louder than them. We can be louder than them and give praise anyway. We can be merciful because when you remember the law that gave you the freedom, you will never forget to be merciful. That's why he says, remember the law that gave you freedom. Because then when you go to judge, you won't be the judge without the, without the mercy. He says, judgment without mercy is how you shall be judged on the day you stand at the door. That's what God will do to you. He just said that. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You want to really help them? Be merciful. Judging them just shuts them down. You want to show them different? Be merciful. Judging them never even lets them to find out that something's broken, that maybe there's a better way. Be merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy makes us whole in our walk. I can love you, I can hug you, and I can still disagree with you. They say if you, if you love the person, you love the sin. No, not me. I'm not going to love your sin, but I'm going to still love you. How about that? There's a big, big difference. If you really love somebody, you tell them what's wrong, and you show them the word. You're not scared to speak truth. The ones that talk to your face and tell you what's wrong are the ones who actually love you. The ones who don't say nothing behind your back except when you're not around are the ones who don't love you. They call it tough love. That's called love love, real love. Y'all can stand on this Father's Day. I know a father who loves like that, who's shown his son mercy. I'm his son, you're his son, you're his daughter. If God has shown you mercy in your life, you don't even know fully what God has done for you, but you felt mercy. God loves you like that. Mercy will make you whole. Mercy will break strongholds. That's like a grip. When, you, when you're really upset at someone, you know what fixes it? Mercy through forgiveness. It's like the game of mercy. How many ever played mercy? I was never good at that. I probably played against my brother. He was always stronger. So it's mercy, mercy, mercy. Mercy means give me, give me freedom. Give me peace. I can't win. So I just need mercy. The only way out is mercy. And when you give mercy to those who have persecuted you, that's like the people who ticked you off that you don't want to forgive. If you give mercy through forgiveness, you're going to be free, baby. That's what that means. If you want to be free, give mercy. 
Love them anyway. Laugh it off. God is good. God made them. God loves them anyway. They weren't trying to rob me. They were trying to, trying to get, feed their, their family. They weren't trying to do this. They were trying to do that because God, God loves them and wants to see the best for them. And maybe I can influence them in a positive way. Amen? Let's just close in prayer here. All you little kids, listen to this prayer. You need to hear it. Yeah, Kaylee, Michelle, that's my daughter. Let's bow our heads, lift our hands. God, we thank you for this amazing Father's Day. We thank you for you being Heavenly Father. And if that's all we had, that's enough. If that's all I ever have at the end of this day is my Heavenly Father, that's enough because at the end of the day you're the only promise that's true you're the, pro you're the only promise that's perfect everybody's going to have a, a flaw my, my earthly father is going to have a flaw I'm a father I'm going to have a flaw every human's going to have a flaw but you as our heavenly father are flawless you are perfect in righteousness and we give glory for that today we represent all the dads here today with honor and reverence because you made them in your image and at the end of the day their job is to replicate what you're job is for your sheep and that's to be a good leader a good counselor a good father a good a good inspirer encourager we believe that we give thanks for that and we go out today thanking all the dads if the house of god could say everyone together in jesus name amen